Hello and welcome to Community Connection. I'm Iowa City Mayor Bruce Teague. As we begin to see a new spike of COVID-19 cases here in Johnson County, it's important to remember that we're still in a pandemic and that we all need to do our part by taking precautions. And that includes our healthcare providers who have been altering their services to reduce the spread of the infection while taking care of our loved ones. Joining me today is Carla Kamal, Executive Director with Iowa City Hospice to explain the adjustments they've made in order to continue providing care during this pandemic. Thanks for joining me, Carla. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thank you so much for having us. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Of course, you know my personal story with Iowa City Hospice um, mm -hmm. being there when I was 18, 19. I remember turning 19 at Iowa City Hospice. So. I've known about you all for a long time. Yeah, yes, yes, you have. Um, it's a wonderful place. I think it's a very supportive environment for people to work in. And um, I am always, always thrilled when employees are able to find their, their strengths and um, do anything that excites them and move on. Yeah, so I know all about Iowa City Hospice and what you all do. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the word hospice, most people know that it's for dying individuals but they probably, that's probably the extent of their knowledge. Can you tell us a little bit about hospice and Iowa City Hospice all at once? Sure, sure, and I'm really happy to do that. I think the statement you just made is the exact thing that most people think, and the first thing they think of when they hear hospice is someone is dying. And my response is always, not flippantly, that all of our patients are alive. So we believe strongly, and hospice is a philosophy that believes people um, deserve uh, comfort and dignity as long as they're as long as they're alive. Um, that may be a short time; it may be a long time. But hospice provides care, um, holistic care and services into into a patient in their home, wherever they call home, um, and that can be anywhere from anything from a, a, a home, a large nice home to a small nice home to patients who have no place to stay permanently um, it doesn't matter wherever they call home is where the services are provided that does include some nursing homes and assisted living and independent living facilities too so our goal and our focus is to make sure that they are comfortable that they have um, met their, their emotional needs, that they have a circle of support, that we um, allow them dignity and comfort until the moment when they are no longer alive. Um, so that's really the basic of hospice. Iowa City Hospice is all about that. Our mission is to provide um, care and comfort to everyone in our community that's affected by serious advanced illness or end of life. Now, where is your service area? Because it's not just Johnson County. Right, right. We have a seven county service area. Um, it's Johnson County and all of the counties that touch Johnson County. So this is a good um, ge geography test for me. So it's uh, Iowa, Lynn, Cedar, Muscatine, Louisa, Washington, and Johnson. So I do want at some point before we end here to give information about how people can reach out to you if they have a loved one or know someone that may be having some challenges that might be hospice appropriate or want to do kind of a, a intake, what that process looks like. So um, do you, can you tell us what that looks like as far as the referral process? Sure, sure. And 
the, the referral, a referral for hospice services can come from anyone. The referrals um, that we find patients, uh, family members, most especially adult children, sometimes a spouse, always um, in general has a good handle on that patient's needs and when they've gotten worse or they have symptoms that need um, attention from someone and they know the patient's emotional um, issues. And so they are very, very adept at reading what the patient needs and wants. And in the best of all cases, they're, they're in agreement. So the referral can come from anyone. I, um, we accept referrals from the family members or from the patients. And all we need to get started, whether it's a family member, whether it's a physician, a social worker in a hospital or in a clinic setting, a nurse, wherever that referral is coming from, it's one initial phone call. And what we generally do is ask some very best basic screening questions to find out what the patient's needs are and where we might want to get started. And then in almost every single instance, we will schedule an evaluation visit to get information from the patient. And then if our admitting um, screening nurse feels that the patient is appropriate for hospice, we make a phone call to the physician and ask for a verbal order to start care. And from there, then the care plan gets developed and we have documentation and forms and orders that we need to have in place. But the basic thing and the most important thing for people to realize is that anyone can make a referral to hospice and we will follow up and get the information that we need from the appropriate source. So you may mention that hospice isn't um, just for the dying patient except the individual have to have a prognosis of six months or less. Correct, correct. And that's a very good, thank you for pointing that out. We need a physician to uh, sign an order or a statement that says if, if the patient's um, illness or condition progresses as expected, they have six months or less to live. But then the other thing you alluded to is that hospice is not just for the patient. Um, Caregivers are just as important as the patient in our plan of care, that patient's concerned about their caregivers, and we want to make sure caregivers are given the, the appropriate support um, that they need, too, to be able to care for that patient in the best way possible. So our um, the, there are physicians, nurses, a pharm pharmacists, um, home health aides or hospice aides, that provide the bulk of the care, but just as important and no less important. In fact, I, the care is not complete without psychosocial services. So we have social workers who come in and do uh, an assessment of the patient and the family and caregivers and the home. They address um, unmet emotional needs by either making referrals or providing counseling services um, and assisting with applications as necessary, but mostly their role is to help with emotional support for that family. We also have music therapists um, and they, they work wonders. It's amazing what music can do for a patient. I've been on, um, I've gone along for rides. I've ride, ridden along for a day with music therapists on more than one occasion and seen patients who are basically not communicative for whatever reason they have who smile and will start singing along to a song that they've known for their entire life. Um, it'll bring back a memory. It'll make them happy. It is one of the most important things we do. I think it's underappreciated and underutilized. So social workers, music therapists, um, chaplains, which are very important to provide emotional, um, uh, spiritual support to patients if they so desire. Um, 
and and then we can have physical therapy also if patients require that but it's a complete um, holistic array of services and healthcare support for that patient um, when they need it i'll tell you i've known lots of people that have graduated from hospice where yes. they've been on hospice and they've graduated and one of the things that the individual, the patient, or the family members would say was it was so beneficial to have services. And so for even those that, you know, they meet the criterion, it, it, sometimes they're a little afraid of the, of the dying word, but hospice offers much more support, especially to the family members that, and the caregivers that you've mentioned. Um, I, I did many, many, many years at Iowa City Hospice and continue with hospice uh, care, uh, so to speak. And one of the things that I have to tell you that my walk away from, from that is that many of the, the patients, of course, they have this process of that they go through, you know, the, the getting themselves ready if they're, you know, to make their transition. But also mm -hmm. the family members, that's where I spent the bulk of my time. And a lot of that was either anticipatory grief or just a listening ear uh, to be present while they are figuring out, um, you know, the, the losing of their love, the passing of their loved one. And so it is very critical that uh, people do know that it's not only for the patient, but it's also mm -hmm. for those that care for the patient. So absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So with COVID-19, tell me what's happening, because have you all <laughs> changed services? I mean, you do deal with very vulnerable people. Um, mm -hmm. people who have low immune systems mm -hmm. um, or, you know, someone that's chronically ill, that COVID could really, you know, take a, a huge turn for the worse. So what are some of the protocols that Iowa City staff, Iowa City Hospice staff is doing? And maybe just some general protocols that you all have in place. That's a great question. Um, we're a healthcare provider, just like any other, just like a hospital or clinic or nursing home. Um, we just provide our care in the home. So you pointed out a really important, um, you made an important point that all of our patients are vulnerable because they already have a chronic illness. Um, the fact that they're in their last six months of life by definition makes them very vulnerable to other problems. So they are all in a high risk COVID situation um, they're all high-risk COVID patients. So, so we started planning, um, I think March 9th was the first time that we sat down because we thought we needed to start. And we like to, one of our, one of our values, one of our foundational values is planning. We want to plan and um, respond appropriately instead of having to react to something. Now that's a really hopeful statement because none of us were really prepared for what COVID means. Um, but our, our challenges were much the same as everyone else's challenges. We did not have adequate PPE in stock as this began. So we had to come up with plans for how to preserve what we had for the situations that were most at risk and also protect patients um, from us being out in the community, protect ourselves from the community and make sure that we um, had everything in place. So we started planning, I think our first meeting was May, March 9th and we declared an emergency soon after that. And we, uh, one of our first actions, activities was to enlist our, our large number of volunteers who are extremely dedicated to Iowa City Hospice to start sewing cloth masks for us. 
we knew we would not have enough, so we uh, developed a template and a, a pattern and got our volunteers to work. And they quickly made many hundreds of masks so that we could have plenty to supply to our staff, um, to our staff and their families at home in a lot of cases, to our patients and their families um, so that they were protected in their home uh, when they were out and about or when we came to their home also. So we started by, by planning how we could um, preserve the PPE, the disposable PPE that we have and use it for the highest risk situations. We got cloth masks um, in production and then we added cloth gowns. We started producing cloth gowns from a template. Um, and then we also ended up purchasing and renting some from a commercial source. The reason we did that is because even if we didn't need it from, for protective reasons, we wanted to make people, um, facilities, patients, families feel that they were protected when, when we went from one place to another. When you're in the hospital, you're in the same building all day long and they have different processes and um, procedures. But in the home, we sometimes will go to five homes a day. The aides will go to maybe six or seven on a very busy day. And they're going from a patient's home in the community to a facility. So it was imperative that we set, um, had a process that made our staff and the community members feel like they were safe from transmission um, from place to place to place. So we put all of those things in place. We screen all of our staff and they, before they start their day to make sure that they're meeting um, the guidelines as they're set out and that we are supporting that and making sure that we do our very, very best to keep someone who may be passing on, um, who may be, you know, um, passing on symptoms or anything to anyone else. So we swung into um, action pretty quickly. And then we developed a daily email that went out to all of our staff to update them first on the state of the community and the, the country and the world so that they know what's going on. And then we had specific things each day, kind of in the same format that they could rely on and know as far as what we were working on, what we had done and where they can find the resources and the most important things for them to remember. So for the first two or three weeks, those emails were chock full of information and we had to boil it down to the most important thing. And over time, they became um, not formulaic, but they had the same layout and uh, the staff knew what to expect. So they became a little bit shorter as time went on. And, and um, as, as the emergency felt like a new normal um, late in or sometime the beginning of June, we suspended emergency operations because we have created new processes and protocols. Um, early on in the process of responding to this, we moved everyone out of the office um, and we had only a minimal staff avail available on site because we couldn't do everything else remotely. So we've, we've maintained that. We started going back to the office at the end, end of June, middle or end of June or before that. And we have gone back to where we were, where they we have as few people as, as possible in the office now. So that that's kind of a long-winded response, and yeah. there's a lot more that we've done, but that's that's the highlights of what we've done in a nutshell that I can think of right off the top of my well, head. Well, it sounds like you have really done what a lot of healthcare institutions have done, step back, try to figure out how to keep people um, safe, inform your staff, educate them of what COVID-19 mm -hmm. really means, 
Now right. we're kind of in another uptick in COVID-19 cases. And so I'm sure mm -hmm. you're back at it, you know, just reinforcing, uh, you know, the safety measures, precautions that you've, you've done. Now, financially, we know that people in our community have been impacted in various ways. Have, how has Iowa City Hospice been impacted financially? Um, well, I, I will tell you that I, I feel better now than I did two, three months ago as we went into this. We've been impacted financially mostly by a decrease in referrals. This just isn't at the top of mind for people and physicians and people in um, acute care centers. They have their hands full managing what they're managing. Um, so our, our census dropped, which means that our ability to bill for services also dropped. So that's what was our biggest financial constraint. But then we also had to spend um, quite a bit of extra money on, on finding and purchasing and maintaining enough PPE to keep our staff safe. So that's been the biggest financial impact. But I, I feel really positive coming out of this, you know, from the beginning of March and through April, I am extremely pleased that although our census dropped, um, we, through other mechanisms and other um, support systems that are built into our structure, we were able to um, minimize expenses, unplanned expenses that didn't have to do with COVID. We did not lay anyone off. No one has lost their job. And our census has come back up and we feel pretty good about it. Now, all of that, um, all that being said, we did benefit and we are um, happy that we were able to get stimulus money and we were able to obtain um, a PPP loan. No, that's awesome. I think the services that, as you've described, it is referral based. Yes. And, and where nursing homes and social workers were trying to figure out COVID-19, I imagine that wasn't, you know, on the top of some of their minds to do those referrals or it was impacted. So happy to know that um, this is an opportunity even now where people can hear that Iowa City Hospice is still accepting patients that meet criterium, will do um, accept those referrals and go from there. Um, one, is there anything else that you wanted to say? I did want to end with one more item for you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just want to encourage people, we have not limited or decreased our services at all through COVID. Um, we do music therapy visits through windows if we need to. We have been had limited access within facilities, which we completely understand and support. We do our best to get in when it's necessary, but we only do what's necessary. All of those constraints have not meant that we have stopped um, any of our services. So don't forget that this is a very, very good option for people who want to um, get supportive care in their home um, at the end of their life. Well, end of life care is very important and vital in our community. And I, of course, thank Iowa City Hospice for leading the way here in our community. Um, I wanted to end just with learning about um, Black Lives Matter, because that has also been in the face of our community right now. And wanted to just know um, Iowa City responds to that and um, anything that you would like to say related to Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. So Iowa City Hospice um, provides care to 
everyone. Um, and it's really important that we under that the community understands our commitment to caring for patients regardless of who they are. Um, that does not matter at all. Iowa City Hospice stands behind the Black Lives Matter movement in terms of making sure that we all understand everyone's life is important. There are inequities that need to be rectified in our society, in our country. Um, we totally, completely support um, protesters and people who want to be heard. We will listen. It matters to us and we support them. Great. Well, we have a lot to do in our community and we have to get through COVID and we have to yeah. uh, really look at how our city is governed and and even individuals in our community are governed, governing themselves, mm -hmm. just looking at um, their response to Black Lives Matter. I thank Iowa City Hospice today for joining me. Um, this is great. I think it'd be a great opportunity for people in our community to know that you all are still standing. You're still working to provide that excellent end of life care here for Iowa City residents, as well as Johnson County and all of the other counties. So. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, Mayor Teague. I appreciate the opportunity to share about Iowa City Hospice. Thanks. Great. You take care. And don't forget, the city has a web page dedicated to COVID-19 information. Visit icgov.org slash coronavirus for medical resources and city efforts. We'll be back again soon with another episode of Community Connection. Until then, remember to wear your mask, practice good hygiene, and social distance from others. We're all in this together, Iowa City.